today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. been studying the seven trumpet judgments, and between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgment, there is what we call a parenthetical passage of which we've taken about three or four weeks to take a look at. Uh, In that parenthetical passage, uh, several things were talked about and looked at, and as we've stated before, a parenthetical passage is simply... Um, a passage of Scripture that identifies events and other things that are going on at the same time that other things are happening and going on. And in that, we took a look at Jesus staking his claim over this world. That is Revelation chapter 10. Um, The next subject we looked at there was the temple and the judgment that will be pronounced upon the temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem sometime in the near future. Uh, That's Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And then uh, verses 3 through 14 of Revelation chapter 11, um, it is talking about the uh, two witnesses. And we took a look at that last week. Um. We want to pick it up tonight with the seventh trumpet judgment. But before I do, I want to go back and refresherize your memory as to some of the other judgments leading up to that. The first trumpet judgment is found in Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Uh, The second trumpet judgment is there in verse 8 and 9. Large meteorite crashes into the sea, and the sea becomes blood, and it kills a third part of the creatures that are in the sea. And a third part of the ships were destroyed. If you'll look down verses 10 and 11, that is the third trumpet judgment. We have another meteorite that crashes to the earth. It affects the fresh water, uh, the drinking water, if you will. And many men died because the waters were made bitter. The fourth trumpet judgment. A third part of the sun, moon, and stars uh, are darkened. 
for a third part of the day and the night. Plus, if you'll take a look there in verse 13, John said, I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by the reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. Along with the last three trumpet judgments, we have these three woes attached to that. Now, the fifth trumpet judgment is that first woe that is pronounced. That is Revelation um, chapter 9, verse 1. Um, it goes through verse 12, and in that, I'm just summarizing this. We have a volcano that uh, erupts somewhere in the world, and uh, demon locusts are loosed upon the earth to sting and torment men for five months. The pain will be so bad. Verse 6 says, In those days men shall seek death and shall not find it, shall desire to die, but death shall flee from them. And if you look there at verse 12, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. So the fifth trumpet judgment is that first woe. All right, the sixth trumpet judgment is the second woe. Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21. And in that we have four fallen angels which are loosed from the great river Euphrates. Under each one of those uh, fallen angels, we have 50,000 demon riders upon demon horses. And a third part of the men were killed by the fire, the smoke, the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. And now we're up to the seventh trumpet judgment which is the third woe and it is found in revelation chapter 12 and verse 12 and there was a reason why i went through all of this because the seventh trumpet judgment is the third woe revelation 12 verse 12 therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. This is where Satan will be kicked out of heaven. Right now he has a place in heaven. It's hard to believe. The devil's in heaven while a lot of men are in hell. A lot of people that you think went to heaven, sorry to say they didn't make it. They did some good works, but good works don't get you to heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in his finished work is going to get you to heaven. Satan has access to heaven. We see that in the book of Job in the first chapter. When the sons of God came to present themselves before uh, the Lord and the Lord Asked Satan, where have you been? What have you been doing? And he said, I've been to and fro in the earth. And God said, you've been noticing my servant Job. There's none like him in all the earth. He's an upright man. He excuses evil and so forth. And the devil said, well, you just let me at him and we'll change all of that. So God 
took up the hedge and allowed Satan to do his work there on Job. But in that we see that Satan has access to heaven, but at this particular time, at the seventh trumpet judgment, Satan will be kicked out. And that is the third woe. Now, before we go into more detail on that, there are several verses leading up to that of which we need to take a look at, and it's going to take a little bit of time uh, talking about uh, all of that. Let's begin tonight in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. That's where we left off last week. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded... And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The seventh angel sounded, that phrase right there. It marks the beginning of the last half of the great tribulation period. At this time, the Antichrist will show his true colors. At the beginning of the tribulation period, he will make a seven-year peace pact with Israel, promising to keep them safe and whatever the case. And at the midpoint, when he has gotten most of the world on his side, he will come into Jerusalem and Israel will be defeated for the first time since they become a nation in 1948. And he will cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease in the temple there in Jerusalem. And uh, he will make the temple in Jerusalem his headquarters for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Now, the voices that we hear here in heaven, we have no idea as to who they are. Nobody knows. But they say the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, Let's take a look at that first little phrase there, the kingdoms of this world. It refers to this current world system, which is ruled by Satan. The apostle Paul called Satan the God of this world. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. You can just write that down and take a look at it a little bit later for those of you that are taking notes. Satan is the God of this world simply because when man fell in the Garden of Eden so long, long ago, man had dominion over this world. And... When man sinned in the garden, he forfeited that dominion, pretty much just handed it right over to Satan. So when you get right down to it, Satan has a legal right to be the God of this world. He has a legal right to do what he does best, which is kill, steal, and destroy. Sin is what gives him that legal right. The wages of sin is death. Sin and Satan has nearby turned this world into a graveyard. 
And unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, that's what it's going to come down to. Man will just about completely destroy himself if the Lord does not come back, step in, and take charge. Now, this announcement is made about the time that the Antichrist is at the height of his career. In the natural, it looks like the Antichrist is going to win. Most of the world will side with him. I don't know whether the United States will or not. The United States is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. And there are several reasons for that. First of all, the book of Revelation has to do with Israel. The time of Jacob's trouble. A time when God brings his chosen people back to him. And uh, someone has said maybe the reason the United States is not mentioned is because by the time these events occur, maybe the United States is not here. That's just a thought. At any rate, like I said, at the time this announcement is made, the Antichrist will be at the height of his career. But God has decreed that the kingdoms of this world are His. Let me just say something right here. God has decreed certain things as it pertains to you and I as individuals. Now I want you to think about what I've just said. God has decreed certain things as it pertains to each one of you sitting here tonight. And they're good things. But as you look at the current situation, it doesn't look good at all. It does not look, the, the outcome of it does not look good. But God has decreed certain things over each one of us here tonight, and they're good things. God loves you, and he wants good things for his people. This announcement is made, but the fulfillment of it doesn't happen until three and a half years later. God has decreed certain things over all of us here tonight, and it may be a while before we see it manifest, before we actually see that which God has promised. Let me go a step further. God has decreed certain things as it pertains to this body of believers right here, this church. It may look one way, but God has decreed it another way. And by faith, it's going to be what God has said. I believe that. Now, when God says that something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's a check that you can take to the bank and cash. Now, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. If you were to ask, some people tonight, is Jesus your Savior? Most would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. 
and that's good. Let's ask the question a little different. Is Jesus Lord? It's a little bit different. You see, what I have found with a lot of people is they want to be saved. They want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. Jesus is to be the Lord of every aspect of your life. Everything. He's to be the God of your pocketbook. He's to be the God in your home, your workplace, the church, every aspect of your life. The Lord, Jesus Christ, is to be Lord of all. And let me go another step with this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Now, did you hear what I just said? If Jesus is not Lord of all of your life, every aspect of your life, then he is not Lord at all. Now, I realize there's none of us in here tonight that are perfect. All of us have issues and problems. Look at the person beside you and say, you got some problems. <laughs> yeah. Every one of us in here have some problems. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. But as long as you are striving, you recognize those issues that you have. And you're seeking the Lord and you're asking him to help you with those things. Then your desire is that Jesus be the Lord of your life. You may be struggling with some things. But deep down in your heart, you love the Lord and you want the Lord to have his way. There's just times when temper gets in the way. And whatever the case, the list could go on and on with that. Like I said, none of us in here are perfect. We all have issues and whatever the case. But if your heart's desire is for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then he will be. The kingdoms of this world are to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Notice the terminology there, and of his Christ. The world presently has many false Christ. In the future, we will have the man of sin, the one that we know as the Antichrist. And many will be deceived. Now, the question has to be asked here, how can I keep from being deceived? There is a lot of stuff that comes over your radio and television, internet, printed page, they preach a Christ. They preach Jesus. But I submit to you that it is another Jesus. One good way to keep from being deceived is simply this. Listen to what is being preached. And if what is being preached does not lead back, to Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross, then the chances are what you're listening to is another Jesus. 
Today we've got a healing Jesus. We've got a psychological Jesus. We've got a miracle-working Jesus. We've got, we've got an example Jesus. We've got preachers preaching a, 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 a money Jesus. There's a lot of things that go under the guise of Jesus Christ, but it has nothing to do with God. It's a misinterpretation of the Scripture. If what is being said does not lead back to Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross, chances are it is a false Christ or the anti-Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. And Jesus means Savior. He is our anointed Savior. All right, verse 16, Revelation 11, verse 16. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God. Now, these 24 elders are men from both the Old and New Testament. Someone has suggested maybe 12 from the Old Testament, 12 from the New. Who these individuals are, we do not know. They just simply represent all of those that got saved from the time of Abel right on up to the rapture of the church. They just simply represent those who are saved. And they worship God which is what we were all created to do. All right, verse 17. These 24 elders were saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy power and hast reigned. That first little phrase there, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art washed and art to come. That presents all that we really can do. Salvation is a free gift. We cannot save ourselves. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourself. Every single person is born lost. A sinner. And salvation is a free gift. And all you can do is receive it and say, Thank you, Lord. And Thanksgiving being right around the corner, we should thank the Lord most of all for the great gift of salvation of which He has given unto us. The next little phrase there says, Because thou hast taken unto thee thy great power. Down through the many centuries, God has been gentle and easygoing with his power. But at the time of the great tribulation period, God is going to pull off the gloves. And men are going to see the raw, naked power of God as he brings judgment upon this world for the sin that's in this world. And then the last little phrase there, verse 17 says, and hast reigned. This means that man may rule, but God overrules. 
Satan may have some leeway to do certain things, but he can only do what God allows him to do. So with that, God has reigned. All right, verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Uh, The little phrase there that says, The nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, is a fulfillment of Psalm 2. If you want to flip over there and take a look at that, you can. If you want to jot it down, take a look at it at some time or another, that's entirely up to you. Uh, But Psalm 2, verse 1 simply says this, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Whether you realize it or not, a lot of the Psalms are prophecy. And they will have their fulfillment in the book of Revelation during the tribulation period, during the battle of Armageddon, during the kingdom age, the thousand year reign of Christ, and then the age which is to come. All right, the uh, next little phrase of Revelation eleven eighteen we won't take a look at is that area there where it says the time of the dead. If you'll notice that, the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets and the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great. That has to do with the Christians at the judgment seat of Christ where all of us will be judged according to what we have done in our body, whether it be good or bad. In other words, it's just simply this. What have you done with the great gift of salvation of which God has given to you? That's what you'll be judged for. You don't have to worry about sins because they were judged at Calvary. But you will be judged according to what you have done with the gift of salvation of which God has given unto us. All right, the next little phrase there of uh, Revelation eleven eighteen, the latter part of that says, And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. That has to do with the battle of Armageddon. As the Antichrist makes one more attempt to destroy Israel, He will stop at nothing to wipe these ancient people off the face of the earth. And there is evidence, and we'll take a look at it a little bit later, that some nuclear devices could go off at this time, and uh, great parts of the earth uh, will definitely be affected at this time. And God's going to 
take care of that at the Battle of Armageddon. All right, verse 19, and we'll shut it down tonight. The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the Ark of the Testament, or the Ark of his Testament. And there were lightnings, voices, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. The beginning of this chapter talks about a temple in Jerusalem, which will be rebuilt in the not-too-distant future. Sacrifices will be offered, of which God will not accept, because those sacrifices represent uh, Jesus Christ, the one that is to come. Of course, they the Jews did not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They looked at him as being an imposter. And there is only one sacrifice for sin, and that's Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And when you don't believe that and you try to go some other way, then judgment is in your future. Now, in the tabernacle of old, you had two compartments of the tabernacle. You had the holy place and the holy of holies. Separating between those two rooms was a veil. Uh, Josephus said the thing was four inches thick. Twelve yoke of oxen couldn't have pulled that thing apart. That veil separated, like I said, the holy place from the holy of holies. The Ark of the Covenant was in that holy of holies. No one was allowed in that area except for the high priest once a year. And that veil just simply tells mankind that because of sin, you are separated from God. Because the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God dwelt at. And like I said, no one was allowed in that area except the high priest, and only then was he allowed in through and by the blood that he carried in there once a year and offered up for the sins of the nation and whatever the case. That was on the Day of Atonement. That veil separated mankind from God. It was a type of sin. But on the day that Jesus died, the moment he said it is finished, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 that the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. It's almost as if though God himself took that veil and ripped it apart, in essence saying... Man can now have access to God. And it was only because, through and by, what Jesus did at the cross. And that's uh, what that veil represented. Now, John says that the temple was open and the ark was seen. That just simply reminds us of what Jesus has done. There is no other sacrifice for sin. There's nothing else that you can do. One day we're going to see that. And we're going to know that we are in heaven because of what Jesus did. Jesus opened up the way. He is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. Now we're going to see and enjoy the presence of God in heaven that day. But those that are back here on this earth are going to experience the judgment of the lightnings, the voices, the thunderings, earthquake, and the great hail, which will come at this particular time when the temple of God is opened up and the ark is seen. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.